You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning. Uh, Man, I hate time change. That's all there is to say. Um, So this year, the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, yeah, they're crazier than the Roll Tide people. Really, they are. Um, What's worse is when they are fans of both. That just, yeah. So this year, the Steelers made the playoffs again. Um, But when the Steelers made the playoffs, the Steelers would have been the first to admit to you they weren't really playing at Pittsburgh Steeler level. And so quarterback Ben Roethlisberger did something a little kind of crazy. He went on his radio show and he sort of called out one of their receivers because they were supposed to have the, the best receiver trio in the NFL. And one of them, Martavis Bryant, was not really playing like everybody thought that he should, including Martavis Bryant. And um, Roethlisberger didn't like, you know, he didn't say bad things about him. And he really kind of spoke directly to him. And he essentially said, hey, we love you, man, but we need you to step up. And I heard an amen there. I'm telling you, these Steeler fans are crazy. So he comes out the next game when they play Cincinnati. And not only does he have like a really, really great game, he made one of the greatest catches definitely of the year, maybe ever. Uh, And I was going to show it this morning, but I decided not to. You can go look it up. Uh, It's crazy, though. The guy does a somersault in the air and catches it on his rear end. It's crazy. But, you know, you look at what Roethlisberger did, and, um, you know, we don't live in the light and the, I guess, the under the microscope that, like, a pro athlete does. But you see, you hear what Roethlisberger did, and you go, now, was that a loving thing to do? Was that a loving thing to say? you know, calling somebody out like that? Well, I think it really depends on how you define love. Um, Our culture might say no. No, it it would not be a loving thing to do. Um, But the, the scriptures say that love, on the one hand, love encourages, it builds up, um, it exhorts. um, But the scriptures also teach us that at times, Love will plead with and admonish, and even at other times, love will rebuke. And this morning, as we get to Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul moves back into rebuke. If you'll remember, that's how he started the letter, which is unlike any of his other letters. But then he's kind of become more and more uh, affirming, encouraging. Well, it's not that he's going to be less encouraging today, um, but he moves back into a rebuke. And the reason why, he loves these people that he's writing to, but he also loves the gospel. And so everything that he is saying is being driven by that overwhelming love, not only for them, but for the gospel. It's also important to mention this. I think that we have to also clarify, not only as we're talking about what love is, what love isn't, If we ask, what's the opposite of love, somebody might say, well, that's easy. It's hate. I would argue with that. And here's why. Hate is an emotion. And if we argue that hate is the opposite of love, then what we're also affirming is that love is an emotion. And while love is emotional, it is way more 
than an emotion. I would submit to you that possibly the opposite of love is indifference. Just not willing to do anything. And on the part of the Galatians and especially on the part of the gospel, Paul is not going to be indifferent. Let me give you an example of what I I think that this looks like. Let's say that you're a parent um, or maybe you're an aunt, uncle. Uh, You got a five-year-old son or nephew. Um, And let's say, you know, we've taught, obviously, our kids, we don't run out in the road. We always look before we cross the road. The road can be dangerous. Well, you're out in the driveway one day playing ball, and all of a sudden, your five-year-old makes a beeline for the road. And you're seeing him, and you're seeing the truck coming down the road this way, and the car coming down the road this way, and you run faster than you have ever ran in your entire life, and you grab that child right before they get in the road, the next thing that you're going to do is not put them down on the sidewalk, pat them on the head and the back, and say, man, how fast and agile you were when you got away from me like that. You're going to rebuke them aren't you? You're going to possibly drag them back to the curb and show them the dead squirrel out in the road with its guts all over the place and say, that could be you. And any decent parent, aunt, uncle in the world knows that your motive 100% in everything that you're doing and saying at that moment is love. But it's rebuke. Now that said, what's ultimately the best thing for your child to teach them the road is evil we don't go near the road bad things happen or to possibly teach them we have to be very very careful about the road because cars and trucks come down the road and those cars and trucks are driven by people and sometimes people are not paying attention and so sometimes we are going to cross the road but we're going to be very very careful as we do that. And you say, well, now, Brian, my five-year-old's not going to understand that. They understand more than we think. The, the first way I described is what I will call the easy way. Establish the rules, teach the rules, enforce the rules. And it has to be said that when we choose to do that, then we also choose to either live and die by the rules. The more difficult way what I will call the more biblical way is to, yes, understand that there are rules and to train someone up in the wisdom, discernment, and discipline of how and why those rules apply. This is somewhat the difference between living by the law and living by the Spirit. And you're going to see the Apostle Paul this morning continuing to plead with the Galatians on which one of those is better. Up to this point, Paul has been defending the integrity of the gospel mainly through defending his own authority and apostleship. Well, today it all shifts because now he begins this full-on theological, scriptural defense of the gospel. And as he introduces this argument, essentially what he's saying is, hey, we don't come to Christ. Uh, We don't come to Christ by keeping the rules do we? we uh, no one's ever gotten saved by keeping the rules. 
We come to Christ through the drawing of the Father. The Father draws our hearts, and then we surrender our hearts to Christ through faith. And so now that Paul has established this, he says, okay, so if we don't come to faith, or if we don't come to Christ through keeping the rules, therefore, we don't grow in Christ by keeping the rules either. We, we grow in Christ by the working of the Spirit and the power of the Word of God coming together in our lives. And Paul is asking the Galatians how they have begun so quickly to misunderstand this. Over the next three weeks, uh, I want to lay this out there for you. We're going to kind of climb this mountain and hit three peaks. And this morning is the first one. As Paul begins talking about Abraham and the promise of God. Well, next week we will move into talking about Moses and the law and the question that kind of looms over all of it. If we have the promise, then why do we still need the law? And then on Easter, we will arrive at the highest, best peak, and that is Jesus, who came and fulfilled the law and the promise. And it's going to be a tough climb, but it will all be worth it. So let's begin. Galatians chapter 3. Here comes the rebuke. Paul says in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul is saying, I don't understand how you could miss this. I preached the gospel so clearly to you. I did everything but paint you a picture. So verse 2. So let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now take note right there that Paul, in quoting the Old Testament, did not say that Abraham believed in God. He most certainly believed in God. But James tells us that the demons believe in God, don't they? They know that he's real. What Abraham did is he believed God. He trusted God. And Paul, right here, as he's about to turn a corner is working under the assumption that the Galatians know the answer to the question that he's been asking. So look at verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them will live by them. In the last three verses... Paul is saying, if you want to live by the law, understand this, that if you fail at any point of it, you will fail all the way across. 
If you fail at any point of the law, then, then the whole thing goes out the window. And so understand, if you decide to live by the law, you will also die by the law. And because of this, look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Paul begins all this saying, let me just ask you one question. What did it look like when you came to Christ? What did it look like when you uh, arrived there? Was it because of or, or was it through anything of your own doing? No. It was absolutely, completely by faith. And you see Paul answers his own question like four or five times. Verse 7, it is those of faith. Verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed. Verse 11, the righteous will live by faith. Verse 14, we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It was through faith. And so Paul is submitting the question, so now are you, why are you trying to be perfected through your flesh? Why are you now trying to grow closer to God through your own works? Let me put it this way. If you came to Christ, if you were justified through faith, then how is it now that you are trying to grow in him? How is it now that you're trying to be sanctified? You're trying to be perfected through the law. Well, I want to submit to you this morning that maybe it was because the Galatians did not fully understand justification or sanctification. And so much less the marriage between the two and the very, very important distinction between the two. And right now, maybe it's possible some of you are looking at me and you're going, I don't know what he's talking about either. These are big monster words, aren't they? Justification, sanctification. We're not in seminary class, Brian. Well, let's have class for a minute. Because we desperately need to understand what this means. I've asked Matt to come up and help me for a minute, and I didn't tell him why. Uh, and that's because that's Matt's going to be Jesus. If you ever ask somebody to come up and be Jesus, they get a little shaky about it. So... Matt, if you'll come right here and you'll just stand facing the cross, right here would be awesome, all right? Here's Jesus. Now, Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is right now interceding for you and for me, all right? This is me. Appropriate, right? Now, see, we did this in our missional community last Sunday night, and I used like this Waterford crystal glass, and everyone was kind of looking at me like, no, no, that was way too pretty to be you, Brian. So I decided I'll go with something more realistic. This is me, all right? When I was seven years old, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I believed that he came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and that he paid for my sin. And it was only through him doing that that I might be right with God. And so now because of that, Colossians 3, 
verse 3 says that my life is hidden in Christ with God. And so, help me out here. When God looks at me, who does he see? Somebody said it. Jesus. This is my position. Write it down. Circle it. Some of you are still sitting there staring at me. I'm serious. You need to know this. This is my position. Can anything change this position? No. Can anything yank me out from behind Jesus Christ? No. This is my position and it is secure because I have now been justified by the work of Christ on the cross. This is my eternally sanctified position. But now you may be looking and thinking, you're kind of dry there, Brian. Absolutely. I'm glad that you noticed that. That's because I need the Spirit of God to do something in me. Now, the Spirit comes when we come to know Christ and indwells us. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in every single one of our lives. That is not necessarily the same thing as us living a Spirit-filled life. Because what we know is that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. What I need is for the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and transform the way I think, the way I look at the world, the way everything works. But I think you and I both know there are some days, maybe I, I, I don't get in the Word, you know, um, sometimes there are, are weeks where I just get lazy or apathetic or whatever it may be. And, and some of you may be here today and you may be like, Brian, I don't know what you're talking about with weeks, man. It's like been a long time and that is me. Now let me point out where everything goes south. Has my position changed? No, but guess what? When my temporary sanctified condition looks like this, I, I'm, I've removed myself from where God is really sanctifying me, refining me, disciplining me. What I feel like is that God is a million miles away and I feel like God has abandoned me, God has left me. Maybe I gotta get saved again or something, I don't know. But please understand this, our position in Christ, our justification does not change. But God is always in the process of sanctifying us, refining us, disciplining us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Give Jesus a big hand. So let's go back to what I said a moment ago. If you came to Christ, if you were justified through faith, how is it now that we begin to walk through these times where we believe that we are growing in him, we're being sanctified in him, we're being perfected by keeping the rules, by keeping the law? I want to tell you this morning that I experienced a lot of painfully confusing and exhausting years of my life because I did not understand this. I really believe I grew up with what I will say are two false beliefs. And they had 
everything to do with my experience and my performance. When I talk about my experience, here's what I mean. I I really believe for years and years of my life that I should always feel like I did when I came to Christ emotionally. And now let's be real for a minute. When you come to Christ, it should be an emotional thing. Am I right? I mean, if you have the realization that you've been brought from death to life, that you've had your sins completely forgiven, that you've been given new life, that at the end of this temporary life, heaven awaits, that's something maybe to get emotional about. Yes. But the problem is when we believe that the things that we feel in those moments, we should just always keep feeling. Now, I want to give you kind of this disclaimer before I go any further, um, that I I do not sit in my life at this point um, with blame on anybody. I don't have bitterness with anyone. I'm just presenting to you how it all went, okay? I believe that part of why I grew up believing that was that I grew up in a culture that fostered that belief. I grew up in a, a youth ministry culture that was saturated in stirring the emotions. And what I'm about to tell you, I am not exaggerating. From being a youth and then a youth worker, years and years and years ago, um, there were several times that I was at youth camp that we had invitation time, response time, that lasted easily two to three hours. And don't get me wrong, I experienced many, many times of my life, some of those included, where I saw and felt and sensed the Holy Spirit of God moving in incredibly powerful ways. But I also lived through many, many of those, probably as many, if not more, that yes, they were emotionally charged and stirred and heated. And the fruit on the tree at the end of the day tells me that that's really all that they were. And so for many, many years of my life, I grew up believing that my emotions and what I felt, that was what I really needed to tap into in my relationship with God, my experience. But now let's talk about my performance. And what I mean when I use that word is I really believe that my standing with God, my position, that it was most affected by my performance and not Jesus's. And again, let's go back to growing up in a culture that fostered this. Right in the seat pocket in front of you is an offering envelope. So that if you feel compelled this morning by the Spirit of God to give, that you're able to take that, put it in an offering box. Great. Well, the offering envelopes that I had when I was younger that were mailed to my house, mind you, they had check boxes on them. Anybody else have check boxes? Come on now. Let me see them. Yes, And those check boxes, I'll just name a few of them for a moment. Have you read your Bible this week? Check. Have you prayed this week? Check. Have you shared the gospel this week? Check. I really think there should have been a box after that that said, have you lied this week? (laughs) Then you got to check more boxes. There was another one that said, have you given your tithe this week? Well, how convenient. It's on the envelope. So I could just take care of that and then check it off, right? I grew up 
with a mentality that if you do these things, then you're a good Christian. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Nobody ever stood up and said, if you do the things on your envelope, you will be a good Christian. But nobody ever stood up and said otherwise. And so for a seven-year-old or for a 10-year-old, you grow up sort of believing this. Here's what was happening. Let me put it to you this way. I was learning to live by the rules and I was also learning to do it by my own power. And I got really, really good at it. But when you do that, when you learn to live by the rules and by your own power, your cup is often bone dry. And when I felt this way, I felt like God was a million miles away. I felt like God had removed himself from me, that I was going to have to earn my way back. Maybe I'm going to have to get saved again. I know students that got saved five, six, eight times. There's a kid in our student ministry when I was a youth worker that I witnessed with my own eyeballs get baptized three times. Because he just didn't know if he was a believer. Why? Well, because we were in this culture that just kept fostering the idea that if you're not performing well, then God, your position has changed. And so I live my life in this never-ending cycle. And, and I don't know if maybe some of you can identify with this. Um, but where my emotions were always being swayed by how well I thought I was performing for God. And believe me when I tell you, my performance was always being affected by my emotions because I'm an emotional creature. But here's the worst part. I'm really exhausted even sharing all of this with you guys because it's like it's all rushing back. But the worst part is that, you know, I didn't just walk through this as a youth. I kept walking through it as a youth worker I even walked through this as a youth pastor. So I have no earthly idea along the way how many other people I drug into this exhaustion and confusion. Paul was trying to tell me something, just like he was trying to tell the Galatians, just like he's trying to tell you. Please hear this. If you and I, if you don't begin to understand and rest in your justification, your position in Christ, that your life is hidden in Christ, if you and I don't learn to rest in that, we are never going to understand or accept or embrace our sanctification. And please understand why. Because sanctification is painful. Sometimes, not all the time, but very, very often the sanctification process is painful. The scriptures clearly teach that we know that we are children of God by the fruit and the evidence that can be seen in our life. But the scriptures also teach us that we know that we are children of God because the spirit affirms it within us when our father disciplines us. And you see, when you're living by the rules... And by your own power, you don't want anything to do with that whole discipline thing. That does not feel good at all. And I grew up in my faith believing when God disciplined me, he was possibly disowning me. 
Maybe he was going to withhold his love. Maybe I was going to have to earn it back. And so for me, it was, it was all about how well am I running for Christ? And it never had anything to do with me running to Christ and resting in him. The misperception was, if God was refining me, disciplining me, sanctifying me, if God was working on my condition, my perception was, God is disowning me. And that's a lie. The scriptures tell us, and, and we've, we've looked at this scripture numerous times over the last few weeks, and believe me when I tell you, we will continue to look at it. Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, God has done what your works, God has done what my flesh could not do. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Paul goes on, to talk about how the Spirit affirms within us that we are God's children. But if you look in Hebrews chapter 12, Paul, the writer of Hebrews reminds us, verse 7, that it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And then verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained in it. Friends, this is a very difficult thing to say to you this morning, but it's the truth. I really believe I spent years and years of my life pursuing a relationship with how I believe Jesus should make me feel. Not with Jesus himself. And that pursuit, the pursuit of any feeling that you think you ought to or that you're entitled to or that you should have, understand where that's going to end. The scriptures tell us the heart is deceitful above all things. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 that we are transformed by, transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to put some thought to this. And we have to understand and declare that our position in Christ cannot be moved. My performance, I believed, equaled my standing with God. And friends, the word that that leads to is a word that we use called legalism. And I want you to know this morning where legalism will always end. It will always end in misery and despair. It always ends there. I also believe that God's discipline equaled God's rejection. And you know where that leads, that belief? Also to misery and despair. God's love is never going to change us if we don't accept it. And we're never going to accept it until we humbly understand and embrace that there's nothing that we can do to earn it or deserve it. It is a free gift. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin, the penalty of my sin is death. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's love is not going to transform us if we continue believing that we have to work for it. If we've got to work to earn God's love. See, God's love is so radical that he demonstrated it in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm praying this morning that you begin to understand your position and your condition and that nothing can affect that position. It is secure. As we close this morning, I want to ask you a question. What's waiting for you on the bedside table every morning when you wake up? A time card, a to-do list, or a gift? See, a time card, you have to punch in and you have to punch out. Why? Because you have to prove that you work those hours. And maybe not only do you punch in and you punch out, maybe like the boss is in that big room up there watching down on the factory floor because they don't want to just see the paper. They want to know that you put that eight to five in and there was sweat coming off your head. And once we see the proof, well, then you'll get paid. Some of us live with a view of God like that. Now, a to-do list... I don't know if some of you guys are like me. In fact, I do know that some of y'all are like me. In fact, some of y'all are worse than me with to-do lists. Some of us, we can make this to-do list, and I'm telling you what, if you get in my way of the to-do list getting checked off, you're a pebble and I'm an Amtrak, and I'm just going to run over you. But then, glory, hallelujah, when I get all those boxes checked off, I have succeeded in doing what God put me on the face of this planet to do. Check off boxes. And I will be able to put my head on the pillow tonight and sleep like a baby. Some of you are like that. And you know, I'm not telling you that's all bad until it begins to bleed into how we view our relationship with the Lord. What's waiting for you? A time card, a to-do list, or a gift? Because see, here's the thing with a gift. With a gift, we, we accept it, and then we open it, and then we honor the one who gave it to us by delighting in it. When our relationship with the Father and our walk with the Lord begin to be anything other than a gift, we're in desperate need of preaching the gospel to ourselves once again. Because hear me this morning, folks. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to invite you again this morning with me to pray the gospel prayer. I want to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes. I just want to encourage you, if you are willing, to be able to say, Father, this morning... Help me live my life believing that in Christ there is nothing I can do to make you love me more than you already do. And there is nothing I have ever done or will ever do that will make you love me less. Would you pray that this morning? Either, Father, I, I believe this, or Father, help me believe 
that in Christ there is nothing I can do to make you love me more than you already do. There's nothing I have ever done that will make you love me less. And Father, we also declare that this morning your presence and your approval are all that we need for everlasting joy. Lord Jesus, help us to understand that every day as as your people that you are waiting and you are extending your hand to us and you are saying right now I've taken your sin you take my righteousness Lord your word tells us that the righteous will live by faith Lord Jesus we just declare this morning that your work on the cross your death your resurrection that that it is enough we thank you for being our atonement in these next moments we're just going to respond to the Lord in song but during this time if you need to come to the foot of the cross or the steps and pray please feel free. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, some of our pastors, elders, our staff are going to be in the back at the tables. They would love to talk with you, pray with you. Lord Jesus, these moments are yours. We just declare that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Your name is above all names. We pray that as we worship you, you would transform our lives for the sake of the kingdom. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.